How's everybody doing today? Awesome. If you have your Bibles, turn it to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be continuing in our uh, study of Romans this morning. And um, as we start, uh, let me just uh, real quick, you know, welcome for joining us here. Thank you for joining us online. And did you guys enjoy Pastor Ryan last week? Yeah, he, he's been a lot of fun to get to know. And as he shared um, last week, he and I actually met each other in college which we didn't realize until he did VBS with us just a uh, couple months ago. We started just replaying, yeah, I went to school here, did here. We started sharing the same friends, and it was like, wait a second. I was out of town. You stayed at my house with my roommate, and we did the same ministry project, different ministry teams, but we were in the same project. It was really fun to start making that connection that we had met in college all those years ago, and now we pastor uh, two blocks away from each other. So that was really, really cool. Um, I got to watch online and had a lot of fun listening to him. And I loved that he called Theoden up and picked on him a little bit because um, I do that all the time. And that was not planned. He did not know that I do that all the time. But I did tell him the only thing I would have done different is I would have made Theoden sing and I would have beat him with the leaks for sure. Like without a doubt, he would have been getting hit. But I had a lot of fun uh, listening to Ryan. And um, it was a huge privilege I got to be a part of that weekend officiating my sister's wedding. Um, and, and that was a lot of fun doing that in Montana. But I, I did miss being here. And um, every Sunday, just so you guys know, every Sunday that I'm not here in person, um, I am watching online and, and commenting. And I have a lot of fun just being a part of this church. One pastor actually told me that when they went on vacation, they're like, when I'm on vacation, I don't go to any church. I just take the Sunday off. And I told him, I said, well, when I go on vacation, I still watch my church online. And they said, why? I said, because I love my church. And you don't, apparently. I didn't just say that. But, 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 I, but I love my church. I'll just say, I love this place. I love you guys. And any Sunday I'm not here, I do miss this place. Um, as we um, open up our Bibles in Romans chapter 5, I actually, um, Ashley's had a great point of praying for those families. And um, let's open up in prayer this morning. And let's pray for those Zyger families while we're at it. Um, something I'm trying to be more intentional at is when someone says, hey, will you pray for me? Will you pray for this? Do it. Like right then and right there, because how many times have you told someone, and this, this is just people, uh, all the time, right? We say, I'll pray for you, and then you go home and, and life happens, and you don't get back to it. So I try to make a good habit now, and someone says, hey, pray for me about this. I just want to do it. Um, so just a fair warning, if I ever catch you in Safeway or somewhere, and you're like, hey, what's going on? Hey, pray for me. I'm going to pray for you in the middle of the store. We're doing it, right? Right there. So let's, let's welcome God in this morning, and let's pray for these Zyger families as well. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for who you are, God, what you're doing, what you've done, the fact that we get to come celebrate. So, God, we welcome you into this place today. God, this morning, um, as, we, as we dive into your word, we also lift up these families in Zyger that we have the privilege of serving. God, um, we don't know their situations. We don't know why they signed up for, for meals, um, God. But I ask that um, every time they get um, a box of food or a bag of goodies, God, that they, they feel your love behind it. God, I pray that whatever they're going through, they see your hand, God. I pray that if they're going through financial issues, work issues, whatever it is that has them on this list, God, you give them provision, you give them a clear sight and direction, God. And more than anything, God, that you are glorified in all of this. You're glorified with every meal, God, that these families turn to and learn more about you through this. So, God, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for joining us today. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, so a couple weeks ago, uh, we started in Romans chapter 1, and, and we talked, and I, I think I shared, it was, it was a really heavy message for me because it was so sin-based. Like, a lot of the talk was all about sin. The root problem of the world doesn't rely underlying with politics and laws, and, and it, it, the, the root problem for all these things is sin. 
We live in a sin-filled world, and we are a sin-filled people. We talked about how uh, I, I used three words to describe what the devil wants in your life. Do you guys remember what those three words were? Hint, it was all the same word. I just said it three times. No, that's what we're dealing with, sin, sin, sin. But um, We said the devil wants location, 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 right? He wants to get a foothold in your life. He wants to get that one spot where he knows he can start doing things. And the problem is in the world today, we, we downplay sin, right? We downplay how big of a deal things can be. We say this is just a little thing. It's not that big a deal. And we end up giving that little bit of location to where he can start to make things a bigger deal than we ever thought they were. The devil, more than anything, wants a foothold. He wants to fight for that, that real estate in our hearts. And once he's got that spot, then he tries to expand. And he's done a really good job in the world of expanding. And that is the root problem for problems in the world. We have a sin problem. But the frightening reality of this arrangement, the frightening reality is the cold truth. And I know we all know this. I've said it. If you've been in church, you know this. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. Nobody is free from it. Nobody is exempt from it. The, the pastors that we may watch online, I know I have a, a pastor that I actually watch online a lot, and I think he's an excellent pastor, good leadership, good leader, and just uh, I know that he has a sin problem. As great of sermons as he gives, as much as inspired as I get listening to him, and as much as I learn from him, I know he still deals with a sin problem. We are all on the same playing field here, playing field. And I I want to start today with some very famous verses that if you've been in church for a long time, these verses are not new. I mean, no verses new. We know these. But, you know, it's not new to you. You'll, you'll recognize it. You'll, you'll understand it. Um, and even if you haven't been in church for a long time, you may know these verses because they're popular ones. You may, you may heard someone say it. So even if you're new to this, this Jesus deal, you may know these. The first one is this, Romans 3.23. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All right, quick hand. How many of you guys have heard that verse in some way, shape, or form? Like, right? Yeah, there we go. It's not a new one. This is not new news. But this is still depressing news. This is not like, I want to start my day feeling inspired. You don't go and read this verse. But it's, it's a cold truth. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know this. This is like going to your kid's school, and you go into the classroom, and a kid asks you, have you ever heard of Dr. Seuss? Yes. Have you, do you know the story of the cat in the hat? Yes, you know the story. Or if someone says, finish this phrase, I do not like them, Sam I am, I do not like. Everyone knows this phrase. Even if you haven't read the book in 20 years, you know the phrase. You know what's coming next. You know the works of the author. You, you know the, the guidelines of how Dr. Seuss wrote things and the craziness. There's things that we know, right, even if you haven't read the book. But here's the thing. Even if you know that one line, that doesn't mean you remember everything about the story. If I were to tell you, tell me the whole story of green eggs and ham, you probably could not tell me everything Sam I am does to get this guy to eat green eggs and ham. You may, rec you may remember, oh, there's a house and a mouse and a fox and a box. You start going down all the things, right? But you may not know the whole story. The thing with scripture is, sometimes we have the ability to pull out these verses, and we can say, I know this verse. I know that verse but we don't remember the whole story. We don't know the context of that verse. We can't say, oh yeah, that verse was written because this is what happened and this is why they had to do that. This is why Jesus did this. This is how it applies to me. And we start taking some things out of context. So today, I wanna focus on some, some things that I think Paul talks about here where, where he, he really brings forth the, the rescue from our sin problem. 
But there's a lot of context that comes into this that we need to unpack. What this means, though, we all have a sin problem. We've all experienced the pain of sin. We all have experienced at some point the pain of alienation or, or the pain of a broken relationship with God. I think we've all been there at some point. We, we've experienced, I think, maybe the, the highest of highs, maybe that moment where you remember, this is when I received God. This, this is when I stepped into this, and you're like, this was so good. And then life hits, and you're like, and this is where I felt so low. This, this is where I felt like maybe I was going to walk away. Or maybe some of you say, this is the point where I did walk away because I experienced that low. All of us, I think, have experienced that roller coaster of a relationship. But this is why the gospel is, is such unbelievably good news for us for all of us who listen and believe. The second verse, again, popular verse, not a surprise, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All right, same deal. Raise your hand if you've heard that verse before. Yeah, right? Uh, People that don't know the Bible in any way, shape, or form, a lot of them know this verse. They may not be able to say John 3.16, but they can easily say, oh, I, I've heard of that verse. I, I, I know the context of it because it's the most translated verse in the world. There are countries that don't have the whole Bible printed, but they have that verse translated. That's how pivotal that verse is. But here's the point, I think, when we look at the context of why this, this rescue from sin was such a big deal. We had a big problem and we get this big solution, but there's something that people disagree with when they, when they understand and read this verse. They may say this isn't fair. They may say that, no, I don't believe the Bible is right on this verse. They may say, this doesn't make sense, and so I have a hard time with it. But it says, God so loved the world. You know what that means? The whole world. God loved the whole world. Not most of the world. Not only the United States. There's a lot, there's a lot not to love, right? Not only the United States, not all of the nice people. God loved all of the rich people. God loved the left. God loved the right. It doesn't differentiate. It says God loved the world. Everyone. Let that sink in for a second. We all have people we don't like. You probably just thought of that person right now when I said it. Just right in your head. God loves that person too. Here's the kicker. God saved that person. God saved that person. God saved everyone. And there is nothing we can do to change that. When you look in the mirror, you get to look in the mirror and say, God saved that person. But that's the key phrase there. God saved that person. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. Christ did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Christ did for us, but we can't do for anybody. Christ did it. God did it. He rescued us from sin and death. Now, if you, if you turn your Bibles to, to Romans chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 1. And this is, this is where we see how this comes to play. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the sin problem. This week, we get to focus on the rescue, which is such a more uplifting message. But Romans 5, starting in verse 1, it says this. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For rarely will someone die for just a person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a lot there, but this is an amazing passage of scripture that you can pull so much from, right? And I love that last line. Christ proved his, God proved his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. This is awesome. There's a lot of different truths that get laid out that we can unpack from this passage. Um, But I want to highlight today a few things that I think really stand out from this passage about what makes this rescue from sin so amazing. And the first one is the timing. The timing of this rescue was absolutely perfect. Have you ever done something and someone messed up your timing? Someone said something and just ruined something you were trying to do? Um, It's funny when you read stories online of someone saying, I was going to go do this for my significant other, and then the weather didn't cooperate, or the car didn't cooperate, or something else happened, or they ran into somebody they knew, and it ruined the whole thing, but the, the timing was messed up. And they decided, all right, maybe not now. Now, maybe... Actually, take, take this unfortunate couple that we'll see here as an example. They wanted to do something for their, their, college, their high school graduate before he goes off to college, but there was an unfortunate timing event that kind of overshadowed what they were doing. Check this out. Unfortunate timing, right? <laughs> to have that car right there blocking the fridge. That, was, uh, that is one of my all-time favorite Super Bowl commercials. <laughs> but timing is everything. Can you imagine how much different, of course, if that was a real scenario, how it would have played out if the car hadn't been parked right there in that moment? They would have been able to, you know, see the fridge and we're happy for you. You got a fridge for your new adventure in college. It would have been a much better moment for the family, right? And ultimately the the student when he noticed the car wasn't his at the end. Timing is everything. Um, Comedians practice timing in their punchlines. They know that when they're delivering a joke, they have to get that timing perfect to deliver that line so it resonates with the crowd. It has to be perfect. And in our lives, we know when a decision is coming, you have to know what timing, right? Do I pull the trigger now? Do I move now? Do I take this new job now? What do I do now? Timing can be everything with an important decision. When it came to the the grand scheme of of God coming down, sending his son and dying for us, timing was everything. And God's timing was perfect. God knew what the perfect time was to send Jesus. And when when Jesus Christ came down from heaven to save us, the timing was just right. It was just right. Paul says this in Romans 5, 6. He says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He came down right in the middle of the chaos of the earth. Romans were in control of the Jews. The the Jews were anxiously awaiting the arrival of the conquering Messiah to come save them. However, when Jesus rolled on the scene, he looked very different than everyone thought. You see, the Jews were waiting for that person to overthrow the government. The Jews were waiting for literal saving from slavery. They were also waiting for political saving. But Jesus came down. God said, now is the perfect time to come. And it was totally different than anything they'd expected, but it was perfect. When he rolled on the scene, he looked different than they thought. He acted acted different than the world thought he would. Why? Why was this so different? Why was this better? Why was it so, so not what they expected? And this was because <clears throat> he was coming to save his people from something so much greater than Roman oppression. He was coming to save people from something so much greater than political deliverance. He was coming to save people from something so much greater they didn't even realize they were dealing with. Jesus didn't come to save them the way they thought. He came to save them from the root of these issues, which was that sin problem. Jesus didn't come for political deliverance. He came for a death deliverance. 
We deserved to die. We, the wages of sin is death. We've all fallen short. And God said, now my timing is perfect. I'm going to come and show you you have life. with you. you will have life and you don't need sin. I will take it away. And you now have this. Paul says in Romans, we were still sinners. We were chasing temporary highs. We wanted nothing to do with God. Some of us thought maybe we were even following God. In, in, in Scripture, they had people that they thought they had it all right. They were doing it. They were, they were the scholars. They knew it. They knew all the rules and the rules they had added to it because they thought they had it. But God said, this is what it really looks like. This is why it's perfect. This is my timing. And maybe some of us have even done the same thing, thought we had it right. I remember when, when I was at church camp, when I was um, back in school, and, and I thought I had this Jesus thing figured out. Grandpa was a pastor, check that box. Dad was a pastor, check that box. I was the most obedient kid in the house, check that box, and that is a true statement. <laughs> I knew all the answers in Sunday school, check the box. Do what the Bible says, yep, check that box most of the time, right? Be the know-it-all in class, not just in regular school, but in Sunday school and church and everything. Be that know-it-all kid. Check that box. I had all these boxes checked. I was living the, PK, the good PK life, the good pastor's kid life, right? But then something happened. God's timing for me was perfect. He waited until at camp one year when I was away from sports. I was away from technology. I, I love and hate technology, but I more love than hate. I have all the gizmos and gadgets, and it's been that way my whole life. But he waited till I was away from sports. I was away from technology. I was away from the gadgets. I was away from the world. I was at a camp, surrounded by his beauty, surrounded by messages and, and worship and just engulfed in, in his creation when he decided to slap me hard and let me know that I didn't have the biggest box check that I needed, and that was a genuine relationship with him. Not just a head relationship where I had all the knowledge. He was like, Dustin, we've got to move this to your heart. You know all these things, but you've got to live these things. Are you willing to give up these things to sue what I want to have for you? And that's when God got me. His timing for me was absolutely perfect. That year at camp, I decided I wasn't going to just study the textbook Jesus. I was going to study the life of Jesus. I was going to start applying that into my heart. And from that moment on, that's when God shifted me from wanting to be a pro baseball player, and I totally would have made it. But he shifted me from that to being... The, the, the road where he said, you're going to work in a church. You're going to become a pastor. And at that point, I thought it was just children's ministry. And that's what I told Stephanie when we were dating. I lied. Sorry. <laughs> but that's when God worked on me. That wasn't my parents' timing for my life. That wasn't my timing for my life. But God came in at the perfect timing and rescued me from myself. He has the ability to do that for all of us. He loves us enough to save us. He loves us enough to bring us to salvation, and he always does it in the perfect time. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I'll, I'll look in the mirror, and, and I'll, I'll just do some self-reflecting, and I can see my own sin. I can, I can see my own brokenness, and I can see my shortcomings. And, and sometimes I can even think to myself, why would God do this for me? And, and all the things I've done, I don't know of any one person who can treat me the way that times I've treated God and saw that person go, I still love you regardless. I don't know. It, it's a hard thing to think if someone does things like that to you, could you still love them the way God loves you? And I ask God that sometimes. Like, man, why me? Why'd you die for me? Why do this for me? Because he loves me. And that's one of the most crucial factors in God's display of love. He loved us enough. He loves us enough to love us even when we're broken even when we're sinful. And that has never changed. 
Paul makes a note here in, in this verse. He says, it would be hard enough for us to die for someone who is upright, righteous, thinks like us, acts like us, or one of our friends, right? But a sinner who wants nothing to, nothing to do with you, who wants to die for that person? You, you probably even have a list of people in your head now, like the, like the, the, the no-brainers. Like I've, I've told my, my wife and kids, if, if something happened where it came down to me or them, me every time. Don't even have to think twice about it. I know I'd lay my, wife, my life down for my wife and kids. If someone said, hey, what about this guy over here who you've never met who is doing X, Y, and Z and is going to go to prison for it? I'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that. But that's what God did. He looked at everyone in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our brokenness. He stepped into chaos and said, I'm going to die so they can be free of that chaos. That is powerful, amazing love right there. That is an amazing story of redemption. I think the second thing Paul highlights in this passage is that God gives us transformation through these trials. Part of this rescuing is the ability to have your life totally transformed so you don't do the same thing and live the same way you did before. A transformation in our hearts takes place. Romans 5, 3, and 4 says this. Not only so, but we also glory, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now, if that sounds familiar, we actually talked about this uh, just a couple months ago. But, but um, Paul really emphasizes this because the Bible makes it clear that we will experience trials. We will come through these trials. But the amazing thing is when God rescues us from our sin, when God comes in and transforms your life, he has the ability to make every trial, every broken trial in your life, an amazing masterpiece for his glory. He can transform the worst things into the most glorious things and strengthen your faith in him. Every trial is an opportunity to praise. Every trial is an opportunity to acknowledge. Every trial is an opportunity to turn to him. When we did James chapter 1, we read this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There, there seems to be something about that hard times, right? Why, why do coaches push their players hard in, in school sports or even professional sports? Why do they push you so hard when you're tired and beaten, broken? They keep pushing you because they know when you push through that, you're going to get stronger. When we go through hard times, when we trust in God and we look at him and we see God saying, we can do this, when we go through those things, we come out stronger, with stronger faith, with stronger trust, a stronger reliance on him, and a less reliance on our own abilities because we're trusting in him. I believe that in those seasons where trials and trouble hit us, we've got to be fully reliant on God for every breath, every step, because he carries you through and transforms you through it. When, uh, when I was in the fourth grade, um, one of the, the darkest times in my life was in the fourth grade. I lost, I've shared this before, but I lost my two-year-old brother. Um, he had a one in 30 million birth disease, one in 30 million. And he was two years old and he got pneumonia. And because of this birth disease, he went to be with Jesus at two years old. Still remember that so clearly. Fourth grade. I also shared this, that not even one year later, I lost another brother. He was only one week old, and he passed away to a doctor's misdiagnosis. Long story short, the doctors thought his umbilical cord was strangling him in my mother's womb, so they put my mom into an emergency cesarean, and he didn't survive. He was only one week old, and those were just months separated from each other. It was a hard, hard, dark time. But something amazing happened through this hard time. My family got to see God's faithfulness. My family got to see how God held us together when a twice-struck tragedy can tear people apart. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for a death in the family to, to cause a divorce, to cause kids to rebel. And we got to see God hold us together so tight. 
we got to see God's faithfulness there. Fast forward to almost a year ago, Halloween last year, two days before Halloween, I lost my brother Abraham. He was battling numerous health issues for years, and he went to the hospital often for a number of things. And I remember getting the call last year. This is 29 years after my first brother had passed away. I remember getting the call from my mom saying, Abraham's in the hospital, and the doctor said he's not coming home. So I remember flying there and being there with the whole family this time. And even though this, this was 29 years later, you know what happened? It opened up all the wounds from 29 years ago. They all came back. All the pain of losing Casey and Nathan, my two younger brothers, it all just flooded into our, our hearts. It, it, was, it was everywhere. The, the pain was real. And then when Abe, when Abe passed away, it was hard. But some amazing things have happened since he passed away. I have a family texting thread that um, if you, as I've shared with my family. I have 15 siblings. Most of us are married and have kids, and their kids are on this texting thread too, the old enough ones. So when someone sends a text message and someone replies, it has the ability to all of a sudden, in 10 seconds, I've got 400 text messages, like the, the family thread flies. But an amazing thing happened after my brother Abraham passed away. More encouraging te texts started coming through the text messages. People talking about how much they love each other. People saying how much they want to see each other. It brought a family that was already close even closer. And that was really, really cool. Another thing that God did in the midst of this trial, a transformation that he's been doing, I have a sibling who um, for many, many years has always talked about how he doesn't believe the Bible is real. He doesn't believe what we believe. He, he believes Jesus was a real person, but doesn't really believe in the Bible. And he never wanted to talk about it. It was always, don't want to talk about it. It's fake. You have your thing. And he, he would actually go off on rants on how much he hated it. But an amazing thing has happened since Abraham passed away. My brother now calls me often, and we talk about the Bible. We, I, I read scripture, and I send him little, little updates on, this is what I read today, and he sends me his, his responses. Sometimes they're sarcastic and ridiculous. Sometimes we have a good conversation, but it's more conversation we've had about the Bible in one year than we've had in our entire relationship, and that happened after my brother Abe passed away, and I love seeing that God took something that was so hard, that still is hard, and he's working in it. He's transforming people because of it. And that is so good to see God doing such amazing things. I believe God desires to take things from our life that are currently a trial and use it for a transformation. I believe that for everybody in this room. God wants to take something in your life that is a trial and he wants to use it for transformation. True growth will take place in your life, often in those seasons where, where we're required to be more focused on Jesus. There's, there's, if, we, if we look anywhere else except Jesus, it's just going to get worse. It's just going to get harder. But when we focus on him, we get to see his goodness in it, and it turns that tragedy into a triumph because it's be through him and in him. <clears throat> when we're required to focus on Jesus, we see him so clearly. And though the end goal is hope, know that this doesn't happen overnight. This doesn't happen overnight. I truly believe my older brother is going to come to know Jesus. I believe it. I, I, I don't have one single doubt in my life that before his time on earth is gone, he is going to come to know Jesus. And how amazing is it going to be able to say, there was tragedy in our house, and that sparked new life for somebody else. That's something, that's a God story right there. And it is so cool to see God working in it. Paul talks about your trials, that they produce endurance, Endurance develops strong character. Character helps us be more confident in our hope of salvation through Jesus Christ. 
And this leads to the, the final point today of what Paul is talking about. God gives you what the world cannot. God will give you what the world cannot. Paul mentions one thing in particular at the very beginning of this passage in Romans that, that I think is often missed, but it's super important. He says this in the very first verse, 5-1. Therefore, we have, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace through, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right there. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we have peace because of what God did for us. We have peace in the midst of this. He stood in our place, took on him our penalty, and he brings us an amazing peace. John 20, 21 says this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Peace be with you. Think of the timing of that phrase. We talk about God's timing is perfect. Jesus was crucified. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was abandoned. And when he comes back, what does he say to people? Peace be with you. This, this is not one of your 90s slasher flicks where the, the teens, I know what you did last summer, right? They, they thought someone was dead and they're like, oh, you tried to kill me. Now I'm coming for your revenge. Jesus didn't come back for revenge. He didn't come back and look at everyone and say, you thought I was dead. You crucified me. You're going to hell. He, he didn't do those things. He came back in the midst of his humiliation, in the midst of his beating and pain, and his words are, peace be with you. That's amazing. When was the last time someone who wronged us came face to face with us? And those are the words out of our mouth. Peace be with you. I don't know if you'd say it exactly like that. That's kind of Bible language. But, but the attitude behind it, the heart behind it of wanting to forgive and bring grace to someone, that's a big thing. God gives us that. The world can't give us that peace. God gives us that peace. And this is why we can have peace. His love is given. His love isn't earned. We don't get to go earn this peace of God. We don't get to go do all the, the, the churchy things that people may say. If you're a Christian, you must do bam, 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 bam. Then God will love you. We don't have to earn it. God gives it. He gives you grace. He gives you peace. He gives it freely. This is why we can have that peace in the midst of trials. We can have peace in the place of performance. We can have peace in the place of striving. We can have peace in the place of stress, in the place of ambition, in the place of selfishness, in the place of personal gain because God gives it to us. So many times I think it's, it's too easy to say, if I just buy this product, if I just subscribe to this, if I just go here, if I just join this, this will fix all my problems. And I do think there are a lot of great things out there that can help us in life. I'm not trying to downplay any form of support group or, or thing that, that we use to help us. But when we're looking for that ultimate peace, the, when we say nothing seems quite to be working, I think we get to look and say that's because God gives us that peace. Nothing in the world can fill that hole. Jesus fills that hole. And he offers it so willingly and so freely. So the question for us today is this. When you examine your life right now, everything going on in your life, do you have peace in your heart? We've got midterm elections coming up. When you think about politics and elections, do you have peace in your heart? It's a tough question, right? Do you believe, if you're honest, do you believe in your, very, in your soul that God will love you, or do you believe that you have to earn it? Do you want something more? I think these are all, all heavy-hitting questions, but, but grace is a heavy thing. Grace is a wonderful thing. And when we understand the peace that God gives us, 
it, it can lead us to have so much more just peace through our life because we know that he's in charge. We know that he's in control. We know that no matter what happens come the election time, God is still in control. God can give you peace in your biggest anxiety. Um, there's, there's something that I've been thinking about. We have our See You at the Pole on Wednesday, National Day of Prayer. And I, I talked with um, the principal at, at Desi Evans, and he is so excited to have us come. Anyone who wants to join, Wednesday at 8 a.m. is the time he asked for us to do it, to go to the school, surround the flagpole, and pray. I've had a little bit of, of anxiety, just a little bit when I think, what are people going to say? A little bit. You know, when, when they see us praying, are there, are there gonna be, is there going to be anyone that, that has a weird comment that comes out? But then I have to understand that, you know what? Going on a school campus and gathering around a public school campus and flagpole and being told you can pray for our school, that's worth celebrating. There's, I, I need to be able to say, you know what, God, give, give me the ultimate peace because this is something that we, we need to jump on that campus and be jumping up and down. Not, not crazy scare people, but you know what I mean. This is an exciting thing. We get to go pray for our school on the school campus. This is awesome. God, give us peace and excitement as we do this. I believe, like I said, we have in this world an amazing grace, and that grace came because we have a sin problem. Man, the sin problem can give us anxiety, can give us pain, can give us suffering, give us worry, stress, misfortune. It can lead us to do bad decisions. It can lead us into tragedy. It can do so much more. But the simple answer is Jesus. He comes with that peace. He comes with that grace. And he doesn't come just for a little bit of your problems, just a portion of your problems. He comes for all the problems. And he comes more specifically for that sin problem, for all people, for all sin, for all time. And that is the best rescue story in the world. I'd like to invite the, the worship team back up as we close today. Now, if uh, today, I think everyone in here has an opportunity today, a decision to make, where, where you can stand or even solidify your relationship with Jesus a little more. Think of this. Jesus decided, God decided, you were worth saving wasn't a second thought, wasn't a hesitation. He decided you were worth saving. And he offered an abounding grace and innumerable mercy. And it's accepted through faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. I love that. By grace through faith. That's the gift of God. That is, that is salvation for everyone who believes. So if you've never made this decision, if you've never said, you know what, God, I'm going to give you all of me, I would ask, what's holding you back? What's, what's hindering you? What's, what's maybe making you hesitate to take that step? I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to talk to you, and I'd love to say, hey, this is what the Bible says where we were. This is where Jesus came to where we were, and this is where we get to go. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay down before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Don't go weary. Don't give up. Don't let stress and worries and trials overwhelm you. Let the peace of God overwhelm you. And let's run this race together with him. Amen? Would you stand with me? God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this rescue from sin that you gave us. God, I thank you for your timing. 
I thank you for your transformation. I thank you for your peace, God. You give us so much, things that the world and no one could ever give us. God, you did it for us. I pray that today, uh, for, for those of us who have a relationship with you, maybe this marks a, a launching point into a deeper relationship, a deeper trust, a deeper understanding. God, if there's anyone in here that, that hasn't made that relationship with you uh, a, the priority in their life yet, someone maybe that hasn't said, God, I choose you. God, I pray for them right now that, that they have that conversation with you, that they open up that door and they say, hey, let's, let's talk about this. And I pray that lives are changed and hearts are turned towards you. So God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for all you've done. And I thank you that we get the privilege of serving and loving you because you first loved us. We thank you, love you, and everybody said, amen. amen.